0: Welcome to Dog Talk and Kitties Too. This episode features one of the three guests on my hour-long NPR show heard every Sunday on WLIW-FM 88.3, the only NPR station on Long Island, where it has broadcast continuously for 14 years. I'm Tracy Hotchner. I wrote the Dog Bible, Everything Your Dog Wants You to Know, as well as the Cat Bible, everything your cat expects you to know, because I care about people who care about cats, dogs, and other creatures who share our planet. I'm also the founder and director of the New York Dog Film Festival and the New York Cat Film Festival, which travel America and Canada, supporting local animal welfare groups. I could not bring you this show without the support of Dr. Elsie's, the privately owned litter and cat food company founded by Dr. Elsie, a feline-only veterinarian who's created a variety of litters to please any cat, as well as inventing clean protein cat foods based on the protein found in cats' natural prey. This show is also made possible with the generous sponsorship of Waruva, the fam owned Foreman Pet Food Company, named after their rescued kitties, Webster, Rudy, and Vanessa, where all their recipes in cans and pouches are human edible because they're made in a human food facility. Good enough for you to eat, but your cats won't appreciate that. I'm absolutely delighted to welcome back to the show Jeffrey Flock, and he's the president of Humane Society International. And one thing he said he was going to be doing after he and I had a conversation Um, several weeks, I want to say, or even months ago when we were talking about the South Korean meat trade, dog meat trade and and other topics, is he was headed off to Panama to where there were going to be, they, all the great animal loving, caring, planet loving people were going to make decisions on endangered species and which ones to care the most about. Okay, I said that silly, Jeff, but when you said you were going, I just couldn't imagine what that room would be like. All these people gathering in Panama to say endangered species. Which ones are going to make the hit list? Is that kind of in a in a nutshell, a a, a, a sort of tongue-in-cheek nutshell, what you were there to
1: do? I think it is true. Is it an accurate representation, Tracy? Um, so the the meeting is called the Conference of the Parties for the Convention on International Trade in Endangered Species of Wild flora and fauna. It's better known as CITES, um, C-I-T-E-S, which is the acronym. And it is a international convention that has over 80 different countries, I'm sorry, over 180 different countries that are parties to it. Wow. Now, yeah, yeah. So it only meets every three years. This is the 19th meeting. And it took place in Panama between November 12th and November 24th. So it's a two-week meeting, and it is really intense. Not only do you have the 184 country member representatives; some countries send one person, some send, you know, fifteen people. Wow. Um, you also have what are called observers, and these are non-governmental organizations. Um, they can be special interest groups representing uh, animal welfare, such as my organization, Mainside International. But you also get the other side of the spectrum, where you have um, groups that utilize and uh, exploit animals like Safari Club International, which represents the views of trophy hunters um, on whether or not species is protected. And you get all these people into this two-week meeting where the party members vote on what species will get new protections or, in some cases, uh, weaken their protections. It's all done by lists. So they call them appendices. Appendices one are the strongest protections against international trade that you can find um, globally, and it's all the 184 parties agree to abide by these um, protections. Appendix two has a lesser standard. Appendix three is really just a country declaring that a species found only in their country that they're going to protect it, but it isn't really a country-to-country type agreement. Um, So the question is, do any of these animals that we know are being impacted by trade get this high level of protection? And it's often very, very contentious, particularly when you get into issues like ivory trade um, or trade of rhino horn um, or lizards uh, for pet trade. There's all sorts of really interesting complexities that go with trying to regulate the trade of endangered and threatened species.
0: Okay, let's talk about the complexities of something that most of us are very aware of, elephant tusk, which is ivory. We've all seen those photos of armed I don't know who they are they're not they don't really look like their army but armed gentlemen who are standing by while piles of elephant tusks that have been confiscated are burned so some of us come away thinking well that's good now they've stopped slaughtering elephants for their tusks and all those sad little baby elephants with the dead parents but in fact is it still ongoing is there an ivory trade Is actually flourishing somewhere?
1: So it's very interesting. Um, The debate on whether or not to allow trade in ivory has continued for decades and it's very contentious with a number of countries. um, They typically call them the static countries, the South African development countries, um, really pushing hard to allow what they consider to be sustainable trade in ivory. Now remember, ivory can be harvested after an animal dies from the corpse, an individual elephant, but that's not typically what happens. Typically you have new ivory versus old ivory. Um, New ivory is ones that are from an elephant that is killed for its ivory. Uh, poached, typically in a very horrific way. Um, and then that ivory goes into the market and is carved, and that's where all the value comes from. But you also have ivory that's been circulating for decades, and the problem is it's very hard to tell them apart. So, ivory from an elephant that died of natural causes in, you know, 1920 could look very similar, except to an expert, from ivory that had been recently from a poached elephant. Wow. So, the question is, do you ban all trade. Or do you allow some trade and it's really contentious, you know, even in the U S it was a lot of debating before we actually um, banned trade in new ivory, but there are all sorts of loopholes and questions. You know, if you inherited an ivory brooch from your great grandmother, should you be allowed to sell it on eBay?
0: What was the answer? A lot of people
1: say yes. Um, Well, the answer is that eBay actually stopped selling all ivory um, unless it could be proven, I think there are a couple small exceptions to it, but they basically banned the sale of ivory on eBay um, about 10 years ago. Uh, but it was a real battle, and there are people who had very, very strong feelings about this. Now, that goes, now that's different than the protection of elephants themselves as a part of an elephant, um, which is also, of course, hotly debated regularly in Africa because you have areas that have. Too many elephants so to speak you know where there's not a lot of land and they abut communities and cause a lot of conflict and then you have other areas where the elephants are being poached out and they're in fact getting more and more endangered i will say that since ivory has been globally um, more and more restricted in sales that ivory the elephants have been getting poached less and less Surprise. Our experts that I talked to on the ground have said that this has been a successful campaign and that they're seeing less killing for poaching. Um, they're still dealing with conflict issues, which is when uh, elephants and humans come into yes. conflict typically is because elephants will raid crops um, and you know humans can be killed, elephants yep. almost always killed when there is this kind of conflict. So there have been able the ability to start, Focusing less on stopping the poaching, although, of course, we have to stay diligent on that, but also being able to start looking at some of these other issues going on with elephants that were not necessarily the leading causes of their um, decline, but are something serious that we want to, you know, address and deal with.
0: And elephants are obviously a very large animal that everyone is familiar with. They're familiar with kind of the dialogue around it, all the fact that it's still so contentious and hotly contested um, is a little baffling to me, unless it's required as some part of the economy of these African nations. Why does anybody need a carved ivory anything? Why is that so? Is it only important because you can't have it? Is it only important because there's not a lot of it? I mean, really, this isn't. Why would these 184 countries, a lot of intelligent people with passionate feelings why is anybody lobbying hard we've got to keep the ivory going
1: well i will say there is a lot of money in the ivory trade um not only is there you know money when it leaves the country etc but the middlemen but you know the sales are actually happening in other countries developed countries that are the consumer countries um you'll you know Carved ivory was a very high commodity in China, in Asia, uh, in other parts of Asia, like Japan and Vietnam. So there were entire industries that were born around this, you know, ivory carving, ivory sale around the sale of this, this commodity. So that's why they used to call it white gold because its value was so high because it could be very easily carved, it was durable. um, It was something that people really desired. Now, mind you, if there was no, consumer demand for it, right? there would be no poaching. It's right. really all about the demand at this point.
0: And it so, is in cultures which have historically valued it. So there, it doesn't do any good to say, well, that's irrational. It's just a piece yeah. of white stuff and someone's done some lovely, intricate carving, that which they could have done in some other material. But I guess that goes to some of these other issues. You know, one one thing I, w- I want to make sure that we mention, because you mentioned it I don't know if it was off the air or during our prior conversation about pangolins, because I remember it seemed like sometime around the topic of how did COVID spread, and it was the the live markets in China that sold many live creatures, and they showed pangolins, and I think they showed baskets made out of pangolins, and I'd never seen this creature, and it turns out you're a giant fan of pangolins. Is that an endangered creature? Did it have anything to do with the CITES meeting, or is that a sidebar?
1: Um, it's, yes, it is a very endangered species. There are eight different, well, it's a suite of species. There are eight different species of penguin: four in Asia, four in Africa, all of which are imperiled. They are the most trafficked mammal in the world. Wow. They're killed for both their meat and their scales, which are believed to have um, qualities in traditional Asian medicines. Uh, so that the properties are used for the medicines, and between the and the scales have been used for other things as well. You know, belts, uh, vests, even I've seen made out of pangolin scales, etc. But um, this animal animals become more and more rare. It's been getting close to extinction. Some of the species are critically endangered, while other ones are, you know, still doing okay. But all of them need protections. And this did come up at CITES, Actually, the United Kingdom proposed a resolution to increase measures for protecting this species and all of its range. Um, And I'm happy to say that that uh, resolution did pass. Congratulations. Yes, that was, that was a good one. Actually a lot of good things did come out of this particular meeting of sightings. You know, we, um, well, a lot of good things and and one, one opportunity missed. Um, So there were attempts to weaken protections for elephant, um, and four rhinos and those were all defeated. Good. And even more exciting though, there were a number of species that got protection for the first time. Um, all of the Requiem sharks, uh, which is a family of sharks, now have protections, which is really, really exciting. There's nearly um nearly a hundred different species of sharks were protected no by kidding. votes at this title meeting. Yep. And did and they used to get killed rats-
0: accidentally? While fishing for other things, or were they themselves prey for humans? They
1: were targets. These um, sharks are getting killed for their fin.
0: Oh, which that is awful used in the shark, shark fin soup.
1: Suit. Yes, and it's the, the meat on the, the fins. Oh, gosh. Um, so that was very, very exciting that these different species of sharks and guitar fishes um, all received these new protections. Additionally, one of the species, the suite of species that we were very excited about was glass frogs there are almost 160 different species of glass frogs which are those teeny tiny little frogs that if you turn them upside down you can see their their inner organs like one yes, of those fancy watches been. where
0: you can see the mechanism
1: exactly oh my exactly. gosh there's
0: there's many frogs when, when you have a chance to find them you species. turn them over and see their guts working
1: it's incredible wow. yeah so these are found in south and Central Asia, uh, south Central America. And um all hundred fifty-eight glass frog species receive protections. So that was really funny. Wow, that's as so
0: well. cool.
1: Well, but the downside was, and this goes back to our discussion about ivory, um, since elephant ivory has gotten harder to come by and harder to sell and there are more restrictions and people are much more aware that elephant ivory is you know, new ivory is connotated with blood ivory. Um, instead, there have been shifts in the market for other types of ivory. Um, there are a number of species that have ivory. So, of course, you have the elephants, but also there's the narwhal tusk is an ivory item. And you see um, hippo, hippopotamus teeth are well, carvable no. ivory as well.
0: Those big, so, odd, square yellow uh, teeth that they have?
1: No, it's the two large, yeah, the the very large ones in the front. There's the four that are uh, oversized. And we know there is trade going on in that. We have um, documented it here in the U.S. and other places where you find the hippo ivory. And um, 10 different African species, uh, I'm sorry, 10 different African countries came forward and said they would like to see hippos protected from international trade. And unfortunately, though, uh, the vote went up and it lost. Um, and that was Why? really devastating. us. We know. Well, there were holes in data. Um, it's very important that you come in with all the scientific evidence of how the species are, where they're declining, where they're steady um, or where they might be increasing. And we don't have a lot of research on hippos. Nobody has been out there studying the populations. So we found many areas where the majority of where the hippos are found that their populations are declining and there were, um, you know, a handful where they were stable or increasing, but uh, in the vote, um, we unfortunately lost. And part of that really was because the European union, the European union votes as a block, but they get 27 votes because there are 27 countries. So you requires two thirds of the parties voting there to actually enable these protections to get animals on a new appendix. You know, they mentioned before, appendix one, two, and three um, are the standards of protection. And what happened was when Europe, who has this ability to vote as, you know, 27 votes, if they go against a protection, it automatically loses because they have a controlling majority. It's very far very very difficult to get protections for a species if the EU decides to vote against it. Um it occasionally can happen but it's just really difficult. And in this case, we weren't able to overcome that obstacle of both the European Union and the handful of countries in Africa that still wanted to continue to allow trade in hippo ivory to continue. So it was it was a tough loss, but we will go back again you know, it took three us three years. different times. Yep. Uh, in three years. It took us three. This is the third time we tried to get protection for glass frogs and we were successful this time. So hopefully we were able to go back the second time, three years from now and get these protections for hippos because the situation isn't getting better for them. Like so many animals during this diversity crisis that we're facing right now, biodiversity crisis, they are declining and we've got to find ways to protect them. You know, little incremental steps every Decade is not enough. We need to really be more aggressive. And it was great at this conference of the party societies, there were a lot of different countries talking about that, that we are not doing enough and we're not doing it fast enough. And that we need to start looking for new ways to go forward and protect more species and protect them more effectively and efficiently. So I am hopeful that things are turning. I think that, you know, even to be talking about protecting some of these species um, was something we couldn't have done a decade ago. And now people are more willing to have that dialogue, uh, that there are a number of countries that agreed to decrease the quota on leopard kills for trophies, which is a great step. Well, it, I mean, it's
0: we've run out of time, Jeff, but it's it's really great know. to know this work is being done by so many people and so depressing and frustrating that those there are those standing against what seem like very logical protections. But in the time that we've had, you've given us a really good idea of all the good works being done on behalf of animals. And Humane Society International is just a great, a great flag waver for the critters oh, and well, the and the and the flora out there. Thank you for the work you're doing, and congratulations uh, on your pangolin
1: save. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much for having me on the show again. I-
0: Thank you for listening. There are a few more special companies that make this show possible. I hope you will support all of these companies because they stand behind my mission, which is to bring you delightfully informative Pet Talk Radio. Earth Animal, which is privately owned by Dr. Bob and Susan Goldstein, creates holistic pet wellness products with an emphasis on their stewardship of the Pet Sustainability Coalition. They make many non-chemical products for the inside and outside of your pets, as well as innovative foods like no-hide chews and the hybrid dry food wisdom, which sometimes is all that my Weimaraner Maisie will eat. I'm very grateful also to Evermore Pet Food, privately owned by two extraordinary women, Allison and Hannah, who cook dog food from the most pristine human edible ingredients and ship it to your door in frozen pouches. It's higher quality and more ethically sourced than my own food. Thanks again for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this one-guest version of Dog Talk and Kitties 2, and we will listen to other episodes sometime soon.